Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Jason, as always here with Brian. We've got a brand new episode lined up for you guys where we're sort of continuing some discussion that we've gone down on the last couple of weeks here. So if you haven't listened to more recent episodes, it's always helpful to do that because we don't really approach these things as like, here's a problem and here's our answer for it now. So now go out and do our answer. What we really want to do is walk through these thoughts with you guys and walk through ways of thinking and hopefully challenge ways of thinking, not just in anyone listening, but in ourselves too. I mean, Brian and I discuss these things quite a bit. We've known each other for many years and we've had some of these deep conversations that have really challenged the way I think personally. And in fact, that's what we usually do before we start recording every week on these episodes. We'll just chat for a while because it's a time for us to catch up. Um, and it's it's a good time to get the the juices flowing, get the brain flowing because it's you know morning for Brian over in Thailand. So he's got his cup of coffee, he's freshly showered and shaved and he's ready for the day and I'll pound an energy drink and then we'll hit record at some point here. So I know that's a little bit of inside baseball information, but I want you guys to know that this is stuff that we've talked about in some cases for years and years. It's stuff that we've wrestled with and we really want to bring you guys in on that thought process, not because we think we have all the answers, but because we know there's a lot of value in a community of people wrestling through these ideas together. So just want to let you guys know that's where we're coming from with all this. So with that in mind, we've been talking a lot the last few weeks about conformity, identity, unity, um, who you are, how to handle different information in different situations. And at times it can be a very fluid thing, but we kind of wanted to start talking about how we approach this information that's coming at us, especially in times of crisis, and especially when things are not as normal in the world. And there's a lot of information coming at us. So on one hand, everyone's got the same information, but how we interpret that information is going to be very different in some cases. I think my biggest question to start off would be, why does certain information actually affect us positively or negative? Is there something that is deeper underneath that we process information from? And I think this is the thing we have been talking about is, you know, it's almost like we spend a lot of time trying to determine how many leaves grow on a tree and why did that yellow leaf come or why did that red one come or why is that leaf out of order or why is that branch growing the way it does? And we miss the whole purpose of the trunk of the tree and the ground that it's growing on. And so we've been talking about how do we how do we go lower than that so we can actually process because you can get lost in all the leaves of a tree. But if you can focus on the trunk or the the ground that it's coming out of, it kind of it gives a different platform to begin the conversation. So I think we should go down that line of how, how do we how do we determine the foundation of how we interpret anything? I mean, not to not to get too cliche, but that's why we have the phrase get to the root of the problem, because you can really only know the core of something that's going on by getting to the root of it. And I've I have a new appreciation for roots. My wife and I are starting a garden this year. Well, she's starting it and I get to pull weeds once in a while. But my point is there's there's a lot of weeds and there's a lot of little trees. Like I didn't know there were such things as little trees. They look like bushes or sticks to me, but they're actually trees growing in the garden and we've got to pull them up. And the roots on these things are insane. 
and it above the surface, it looks like this little twig that you could just grab and lift up. And I consider myself at least an average strength man. And some of these things are so difficult to pull up. Like it's ripping my, my hands, it's giving me blisters, all from these little tiny appearing little trees and weeds on the surface. But the roots get so deep. But without getting to the root of something, you can chop away at what's above the ground all you want and it'll grow right back. So if you don't understand the root of something, can you really even address the symptom showing up? Now for the listener though, every time I've heard in the past, well, we need to get to the root of it and it becomes this deep psychological or just kind of a painful journey and it's not really dealing with the issue I'm dealing with. Um, I'm hoping maybe we could take that a different journey so it doesn't feel like that. Maybe just get to some core maybe maybe some core uh, platforms that make it easier to interpret. So in a way, we're not talking about only focus on the root or only focus on the thing above the ground because like you said, if it's just, well, you need to get to the root of it, you're kind of just saying the thing above the ground isn't that important, but that's the thing that's bothering me. And that at times can just be a diversion or really a like, well, we don't know what's going on. We just kind of got to get through it. And that's really not been helpful in my experience. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, I, I think if we can get to more of, let's get so, to some, maybe some specific things going on and maybe get into why, why are all of us have a bias? And I don't mean a bias where it's become so deep rooted that you actually have a hatred towards someone else who doesn't share your idea, but just the normal biases that we all carry of how we filter and look at things. For instance, you're in uh, Minnesota right now. I'm in Thailand. And... Uh, the things that the news and the information that come to me are going to have one effect. The news and information that comes to you is going to have another effect simply by the fact that we're in two geographical locations. We have two different types of governments. We have two different uh, ways of handling our daily life based on the environments that we're in. So the news that comes to me is going to have one effect and the news that comes to you is going to have another effect. That's really more of the, the bias or the different platform that we're coming from that I want to kind of look at, and it may help how we interpret information. I would say that's one of the most important things to bring up right off the bat, because understanding the bias of a given person and that the bias exists, a lot of times that's just kind of breezed over. I think we'll look at certain people as not having a bias. I mean, in some cases, we'll look at journalists as not having a bias or statisticians or mathematicians or scientists as not having a bias. But I'm, I, I always remember a story that my mechanic told me years ago when she was in college. She said she was taking a statistics class and her professor said on their first day, I'm going to teach you how to make a stat say whatever you want it to say. And it really kind of opened my eyes. And you can take that as a really pessimistic thing. And maybe on one hand it is, but it really just opened my eyes to the fact that everyone has a bias and you need to be aware of that. Our world has become so polarized. And quite honestly, there's always been some element of a polarization throughout history. And now it's almost like we've become such a tribal people that we don't really know what we think. We don't really know what we really want. We're almost like what's in front of us is all that's important. And so we make decisions on how to protect ourselves. And so, uh, and that's not true for everybody, but just, just in, I'm being very general here. So we're trying to protect ourselves. So the things that matter to me 
are the things that are directly affecting me. Let's give a great example. So just in our current economy, let's, let's, remove, let's remove the bias of who's right and who's wrong. Let's just look at a, just a general economy right now. If you're coming from a place that you have, uh, let's say, a small business or you're an employee um, in a business that can't pay you, but you don't qualify for unemployment insurance, and you have to work to feed your family, and the person that's speaking to you of why it's better that you stay at home has a full job, they get a guaranteed paycheck. For them to stay home, it's no big deal. They're going to get paid. So it's almost like they can adapt to that information differently than the person that is on a survival side, that if I don't get to work, I can't pay for my family. And if I don't pay for my family, I'm going to be on the street. And if I'm on the street, I'm more susceptible to more negative things in my life. So I don't, I care about other people. I care about the reason that we're locked down. But this can have a deeper ramification effect. But if I voice that opinion, who usually is the one who wants to counter that? The one that can be safe at home. And so I'm not saying which side is right or wrong in that. I'm saying those are two deep issues that it, the information gathered. One is bringing relief, like, wow, I've been wanting a day off from work for a long time. I get more pay. I get more... I get all this stuff. And the other one's saying, I can't survive like this. And no one's there to help me do that. Or the perception is no one is. So now information has a different view. So those would be a, a bias that they have towards that situation. One of my favorite movies is the movie Glory. And I love that scene when the African-American soldiers are only going to get half pay. So they kind of revolt and said, we don't want any pay. And I liked how... Uh, the officer said, well, if you won't take any pay, then we won't take any pay. In other words, we're both in this together because they were both sharing the same risk. Maybe not same, same experiences, maybe not understanding fully each other, but because we're coming together, we're going to share in that same experience. So we weren't having a bias, like we still get full pay, you're getting nothing, and now we're creating a new contradiction. So I love that scene where it says, tear it up, tear it up. I would love it that when someone who is totally secure and at rest and at peace, who's giving information to someone that's in not in that situation and they're not providing any resources for it, that they would, you know what, so I can understand, so we can come to a common ground, none of us get paid. Now we can all come from it. Boy, wouldn't that change the dynamics though? I'm not saying that's a right or wrong thing to do. I'm just saying it would radically change the dynamics of that conversation. What if the media reporters couldn't get paid to do their job during this time, what would their conversation be? Yeah, you've really got to wonder how people would act if their situation was just a little bit different, especially when people are accusing others of doing something wrong, not having a clue what it's like to be in that situation. They really can't understand why that person's making that decision because they're only looking at it through their lens and what they think that person should do. So all the the information they're sharing out, all the words that they're speaking, all the recommendations they're giving, it's coming from their perspective with their things in mind and not always the things of others in mind. You kind of touched on that a little bit earlier when we were talking before we recorded on how you were discussing this with your son. Yeah, having the conversation with my son, we were just trying to lay out a platform because there's so much information, what's right and wrong. And just let me go back to that initial point I was making. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone who has money should have to give up money and everyone who doesn't have money should 
create an envy and strife. I was just trying to make a, a perspective of a lot of times we speak as if we have an authority on an area, but we don't consider the other areas that are involved in the effect of that decision. And that was my point of of that. So just for anyone out there, I don't believe in everyone who has money should have to give up their money because of those who don't have money. I'm just saying when you're speaking absolute, you need to consider the position from the people that you're speaking to with the information that is information for both people to navigate with. And also understand that if you could have such a strong position and be an authority on what you're saying, but you don't allow the person that's hearing it to have a position and have an authority in what they're saying, you never truly come to a common ground of victory. Mm. You only come to a point that one person is winning the argument. And that's where we've lost this idea of discussion and this idea of disagreeing. And um, if I come to a disagreement with you, and we've disagreed on, on many areas, but because I value you and I value your life and I value the situation that you're in. I may not change my words and my ideas, but I'm okay if you have a counter because then we can actually come to a sharpening together. And so I think that's really critical. So back to the story with my my son. Go ahead. I was going to ask, why do you think that's so difficult for people to do? Because I don't think that's something that comes very easily to to, uh, allow someone to have an opinion that's kind of opposite of yours and to be okay with them living that perspective out. Because at least in my experience, it seems that people are always so quick to come against someone with a different opinion or a different belief on something. Even in most conversations where I see people with two different perspectives or two different beliefs having a discussion about something, they're not listening to each other to understand what the other person's saying. They're only listening so that they can respond with their counterpoint. So they're constantly defending their position and trying to convert the other person to their way of thinking. And it almost doesn't matter where the other person's at. It's I've got my belief and I got to defend that because you're coming against it. And so here I go. Why is that so hard for people to break from that mindset? Maybe maybe it's not a breaking from the mindset. Maybe it's just back to the tree example. Maybe because they're rooted or they're grounded in an idea and they built that so long that any counter to it threatens their what they believe is their existence or threatens their their position or threatens their uh who they are and so th- that could be a real real big pattern i mean i could we could probably spend a lot of time looking through history of all of these different cycles and whys and all of that and you can go all the way back to the garden about this and maybe and let's hit that maybe touch that on the next question i wanted to respond to your question about my son Mm -hmm. and we were talking about um how do you interpret all this stuff and again i'm not coming from a position that i'm the absolute authority on this but i like to my my dad taught me something uh really really well when i was a kid growing up he was a mechanic for the airlines for 34 years and so being in a process that you're always having to diagnose a problem, a buzzer will go off and you have to go figure out what the actual issue is. So this was before uh, systems were in place that you actually don't need people to think, you just need people to do what the system tells you to do. So let's step back into before the system actually spoke for the people and we became dependent on this. This is where uh, an alarm goes off over a fuel problem and you have to diagnose the problem. 
So my dad did this not only with the airlines, but when he was working on a car or he was trying to solve a problem with in the yard or whatever he was doing, um, when it came to fixing a problem, uh, mechanically or naturally speaking, he would first said, hey, we got to break it down to the three main problems. So when it came to a car, it's not working. Is it the air? Is it the, is it the fuel? Is it the spark? If we can get down to the three main things that make an engine work, we can diagnose from that point of what's actually not working. Where we get into the problem is we start diagnosing problems based on these external and uh, things way on the outside without getting to the heart of how the thing works to begin with. And that really has helped me because it's, it's helped me whenever there's a problem, don't get caught up in what the actual buzzer is going off step back and break it down and you realize it may not be as big of a problem or if it is a problem you know where to go to address what the problem is and our society has been built so much on systems that a problem goes and now we're mad at the buzzer that's going off this little alarm and we're mad at the sound of it why it's doing it there's a huge calamity when basically it's just saying uh the spark plug cable came off it's something that's so minor, yet we make it major. And so I think that is where our world is. So I told my son, I said, hey, we got to strip all this thing down to something a way more simpler than that. And when I did that, I drew I drew uh, six circles in, in, in a circle. So imagine a circle with six circles uh, in in that circumference. And in the center, I put another circle. And I said, this is a simple example of humanity. The center re represents some kind of measurement of authority of balance to the rest of the circles. And the circles on the outside are the individuals. So the individuals are the ones that give up something to make the center circle bigger. And the bigger circle shrinks when it gives up something to make the individuals on the outside work. And there's, there is a harmony to that whole thing. What happens is over time, as we become more afraid, as we begin to uh, become more self-protective, when we become more fearful, we exchange the, our individual circle and we give it to the center circle. And that center circle becomes bigger. But the problem is if you let the center circle become too big, then it strips what you are and you're just a a a cog in the wheel to make the big center circle work. And throughout history, there's been a cycle of this in government, in leadership, in community, this, this up and down of the cycle. And I said, you were born into, we were talking about our country and what works for our country, um, or at least what are the platform. And it was designed that the individual was the big circles and the government was a little circle just to keep harmony among all the other circles. But as fear comes in, when you remove the individual from making decisions, when you remove the individual from being responsible for their choices, when you remove the individual individual from having ownership, the center circle becomes bigger. And so the information that's coming is either stripping you as an individual or it's building you as an individual. And why does the individual matter? Because even when it comes to Christianity, Jesus didn't die for the world as a whole, so that way he could have a bunch of minions to accomplish a bigger idea. No, he went to sacrificial love, lowered himself, 
and began lifting the individual so they could choose, they could, they could live freely, they could have liberty so that they can love, so that they can exchange themselves and they can give. And so my son asked, so how do you beat that? What happens if the center becomes so big that the individual is shrunk? How do you beat that? And I said, I think it's interesting that the kingdom of God had a, an amazing strategy. Don't just look on your own interest, but look also on the interest of your neighbor. Love your neighbor. By the way, it never said love your government. It said pray for him, but it didn't say love your government. It didn't say love the system that you're in. It said right. love your neighbor. And so as you begin loving your neighbor, what are you doing? You're bringing value to your neighbor. You're bringing lifting of your neighbor. Now, even if you have to tell your neighbor something strong that they may disagree with, but they know you love them and you're willing to sacrifice for them, you're empowering them to bring change. And what ends up happening is that, that circle of individuals becomes stronger and stronger and more united that you just need something small in the center just to anchor them together. And so when he, he got this, and like he goes, that's why we love our neighbor. That's why we are kind towards each other. That's why we forgive each other, because it breaks a cycle of tyranny of the center controlling the outer. But how do you alter that? Through information. One way or the other, reports of news come. And it starts affecting the individual or the group. And the person who ha wants the most power is the one who tries to control the information. And when I say power, I'm not referring to what government structure is right or wrong. I have opinions of that, but that's not really relative here. When I'm talking about power, it's really the battle of, is it the group or is it the individual? It really seems that there's a strong pull to want to do that, though, to want to give up a little bit of your circle to the center one so that it can do the influencing for you if someone's in need. So we're almost, in some way, it seems like we're almost conditioned to want to outsource that influence and that responsibility to something else. And I, I don't really know, I guess, where that comes from, but it seems like you were talking about in history, to be a recurring theme. And so it's interesting when you look at what does practically happen when people start to take up that responsibility for themselves. And we've talked about that in previous episodes, but even just in our context today, instead of expecting that center circle to go and fill a need or do something, maybe you've actually got the ability to do it yourself. Well, I'll throw this into just in case somebody's listening and saying, well, what about the body of Christ? What about Christianity? Isn't that Jesus is as the, as the king and the, the hierarchy and we're his subjects? And actually, that's not true. We were never made subjects. We were no longer servants, but we're sons. Now, in the sense of love, he actually became an individual for the sake of bonding to us in a relational point. So now, if, when you look at the circle... There's this healthy relational that we can actually love the center because it's a person. It's God himself. It's not just the kingdom. But as this circle is working, we become part of this, this circle. And keep in mind, he, he uses the, Paul uses the metaphor of the body, and Jesus is the head. But the head doesn't keep growing bigger and bigger. Have you ever been around someone whose head just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger? It, it's not a fun experience. It's not haughtiness. And the body is the biggest part 
of the body of the of the whole and so you empower the body to work with the head but the head isn't trying to take away from the body it there's this there's this family a family network that actually works that is critical where we're interdependent on each other but we're independent as far as our role and what our responsibility is and our authority within that that's that sector comes from the head but the head can do nothing without the body but the body isn't trying to get rid of the head and the head isn't trying to shrink the body i think you see that demonstrated a ton in in the new testament where the body is working together to meet needs where there rises up needs in different churches things are sent but you even see it specifically when when uh paul confronts peter when there's an issue and he confronts him to his face he says because Peter was just doing some things that I guess were part of his old habits, his old traditions, and wasn't really thinking about how that's affecting everyone. And Paul goes and confronts him, but he doesn't confront him as, look, I'm the, I'm, I'm the head and you need to listen to me because I'm right and you're wrong. He comes and confronts him to essentially just speak life into him. Of, you're, you're not acting like who you are. Jason, maybe you could throw your thoughts in of, of what you've seen is how does how does information and questions and news affect people around you? Even bad news can still have a positive effect if you know what to do with it. But how how have you noticed people around you being affected by the news one way or the other? You know, for people who have a a secure confidence in their identity, the bad news around them, it's it doesn't shake them as much. The people who are less secure in their identity and less confident are extremely swayed by it. And they're both getting the same the same words from the news, the same amount, even the same quantity of it at times, but it's affecting them differently. And I'm I'm kind of starting to realize, at least in my experience, it depends on your core. It depends on your identity and who you see yourself as, but also how you view the the media that's giving you the news in the first place. I don't remember if we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but an interesting thing about how your brain's designed to work, there are these things called mirror neurons in your brain. And so when you, the way they work is that they're they're kind of like normal neurons that if you have a habit or you're doing something, it'll fire in a specific pattern to do this action but they fire when you're observing something in someone else. And some corporations actually talk about this in their training for customer service. So customer comes in, they're angry, they're yelling at you, they're telling you about their day and how bad their situation is, how stressed out they are as a customer. That in the in the company representative's brain is actually read by their brain as stress for themselves. So they are experiencing the stress that the customer in front of them is, is putting out there because of their mirror neurons. And the point behind that is that what you're listening to, what you're observing, your brain will naturally start to fire as if that's your information, as if you're doing that activity. It's almost creepy in a sense, but it's not down this road of mind control and things like that, but it is interesting how people are influenced by psychologists and negotiators that are aware of this stuff. But anyways, I don't wanna get on that bunny trail. My point again is, what you surround yourself with is generally going to be how your brain starts to think and work. So that's why it's interesting that you see wall-to-wall coverage of nothing else the last few months except for one thing, and that just happens to be the one thing that everyone's talking about in their spare time whenever they're around friends. And the people that are unsure of it 
unsure of how they're going to get through it, unsure of what the end result's going to be, how it's going to go, what's going to happen. Those people are swayed by whatever information they get from the news media because that's their trusted source. And, you know, maybe it's it's got a place, but at the same time, I've got to ask myself why we're trusting worldly news media sources for not just all the information we get, but how we should feel about things too. Because that's the thing I've noticed the most in people, to be honest. They're not just getting their information from news and media. They're getting their feelings from it too. And it's really bizarre to see that. So you've got an uncertain time and all these facts and information are telling me how I should feel. And it's very rare that I've seen someone in, you know, in recent history that is taking the information and saying, okay, now what do I do with that as a son or daughter of God and bringing God the Father into that conversation as well? Maybe it's, it's hard for people to identify what that really looks like being a son and daughter of God. And so the word father actually means source of life. And we know that even from biblical record or from, from any record, we know that our life is composed of words. The words have been spoken over you, the words that have given background knowledge, the words that have given insight into things, the words that have created history, the words that are speaking about the future. Everything that we are is composed of words. And so it's no, it's no different when Jesus says, I am the word. Now, he was physical. He wasn't like a text on a page type of word. He was embodiment of the word. So he took the Old Testament because he told the Jews, what you read about, you read about me. So when, when Jesus saw the word, it was all of those things were composed into him. He was a composition of those words, and he, he became real. And that's the reality is so are we. So the words your parents have spoken over you when you were a kid, the words your friends have spoken over to you with a kid, your culture and customs within your home were shaped by words at some point. Words shaped everything. Mm -hmm. We have to look at every type of, even the battle between, let's just took the, take the big two things going on. We have this battle of a free person and free market capitalism. Um, and then we have more of a, a socialist type of thing. And it's this, again, this podcast isn't about either one. I would rather have you have a platform of where you stand so you can make decisions regarding that because you could find flaws in both, but there's some things that have an element that are different. One is based on the individual more. One is based more on the group and the collective more. So now when, when words come, so all of those were built on words. So if you look at the father of socialism who really authored it where people started putting it into place, that was Karl Marx and his writings. Then you have Hitler to put his ideas out. He wrote Mein Kampf, and that was kind of his platform that he built. And then you have authors of the Bible who wrote the, the New Testament and those they're, they're writing. And the reason they're writing is it's shaping a culture and it's shaping a way of thinking. And we attach to one of those things based on the vulnerability because we need words. We require those words. That's why even the gospel, the term the gospel is called the good news. It, it is presented because we need those words. And those words absorb into us. We believe them. 
and then they begin shaping who we are, and then we begin doing an outward shaping based on those words that we receive. So let's go back to the beginning and maybe just throw something simple out there, and then we can rebuild on the rest of this conversation without going into too much depth of the whys, um, because there's a lot of factors there, but there is some simple things. You know, we don't need life to be so complex. You know, the first engine in a car was really quite simple. It was complex in putting it together, but when you look at it, it was really quite simple. We've added so much complexity into a car's engine and the features that it does that you almost need someone with a master's degree in engineering just to be able to function and work with the car. But it also has, it's offered more benefits, but it's actually cost us a whole lot more. You know how easy it was to fix my 68 Mustang? I could flip open the hood, change the spark plugs, readjust the carburetor, adjust the float, uh, make sure that it's getting the right amount of air. Boom, I was ready to go. No electronics besides a distributor cap. So there was a fire. But something simple. It was, it was a simple complex. Now we've overcomplicated it to such a degree because it provides more benefit. Now we can almost, now we have the Tesla car that will drive without us driving. And we think, wow, I have so much more benefit. But why don't we consider the cost of that benefit? We don't know how to fix it anymore. We're completely subject to the subscription you have to pay for keeping it online. You're, 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 uh, all of the attachments required to make that car run, we've cost our freedom to make it run. I'm not saying the car's right or wrong. I'm just saying we don't calculate the cost to that benefit. And it's easy to send benefit to people to make life safer and more comfortable and more relaxing. But what we've done is we've stripped out of us who we are to make decisions and choose and to do those things because the, the benefits and the comforts seem so much better. And again, to highlight what you just said there, it's one thing for you to choose that for yourself and to be okay with that decision and make it in what would be a perfectly fine decision for someone to make as an individual. It's another thing for you to try to put that decision on someone else, to say to someone else that they need to do, take part of that just the same way you do because you think it's better. It's not right for you to try to force me to buy a Tesla, even though it's what you want to do and it's the best choice for you. Well, I would, I would say even if it would make my life better by some metric. So if you came to me and you could say, I've got this Excel spreadsheet and these graphs and I can show you how your life is going to be, you know, 11% better if you get this Tesla. So I'm going to make you do it. That's not okay. You have, you've stripped away who I am and taken my, my right to make that decision for myself because you believe, based on your facts and information, that it's going to improve my life to some degree. And if I don't know, well, I guess if, depending on your motives as a person, you might come at it with good motives, but if your motive is just to boost Tesla's stock, then are you really looking out for that 11% better than my life is gonna be? Are you really gonna take these studies and put together this presentation that's gonna be honest and completely removed from bias. No, you're you're just interested in Tesla stock going up, so you're gonna put this presentation together, show the result you want, and then force me to buy one or strong arm me into buying one. Well, let's 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 look at how we got there, because this is a much better example than trying to deal with politics. Um, 
I, I love politics. I have strong opinions, but it doesn't really help people make decisions. It's It would be me trying yeah. to always persuade. So I'd rather have people have a foundation than make decisions. Because you know what I do trust? If they can be enlightened and God can open their eyes to who they are, how they were created, and why they were created, all of a sudden their decision-making process would, would not only maybe different, but it would begin complementing and sharpening what they are versus one person trying to win that argument. And so mm-hmm. let's look at Tesla. So how do we get to the Tesla car? Someone had a great idea. We allowed innovation to come in, right? They started working with electrical stuff. This isn't new. Uh, one of the one a great book I recommend reading is Mover of uh, Mover of Men and Mountains, and it was written by Robert Letourneau. And Letourneau has a university in Texas now. This was a Christian missionary guy that started out in San Francisco. And uh, actually grew up in Minnesota at a young age, like 12, 13, when kids went to work, right? Uh, not right. We wouldn't have any idea what that was. But there was an era where <laughs> at 13, you're a man, so you started out on your journey. Well, he ended up going and working in, um, working with creating lead for lead batteries in San Francisco. And long story short, he started learning how batteries worked. And then he started getting into earth moving because he had a little farm and he was trying to help that make that work better, but he realized the mules weren't working and he realized the power of a battery and he created the battery motor. And pretty soon, most of the prototypes of Caterpillar, uh, the big earth moving equipment, all came out of this guy, Letourneau. But it didn't come by his own. It was his information that he learned through his journeys of life of putting it together into one place till we had basically a, a Caterpillar earth moving equipment for you know, it's diesel that charges batteries, but it's actually the batteries that are running the, the vehicle. So you get more torque off a of battery. So this has been around for a long time. So how did we get to Tesla? How did we get to this new idea? Well, it had to start with a different movement. We had to create an environment where um, fossil fuels were bad, battery power is better. No one considered the, co- the toxic waste of the batteries when they discarded them, but bottom line is we shifted culture. When culture shifted, it allowed a new opportunity to come out. As that began to grow, things started progressing to where we get. How did we get there? Information. Someone started persuading someone with a new uh, uh, something that needed to change. In that change, people started buying into the change. That change opened the door for something new. So whether it's right or wrong isn't really the point, but it all began with information. Now, I do find it fascinating. Why is the people that push a radical change needed, why do they profit from that radical change? Why do they receive financial benefit off changing? So bottom line, change had to happen through words in order for Tesla to get to where he was. Change had to happen through words in order for Robert Letourneau to bring forth this new idea. So when there's change, new ideas come, but it came through words and it became because of people bought into an idea. Keep in mind, people wouldn't travel by ship across because uh, the world was flat. When they discovered the world wasn't flat, all of a sudden ship routes and everything started to change. So it took words to bring forth new ideas to bring things to pass. So the criticalness of words is is preeminent throughout history. 
when new information came, people bought into it. When they bought into it, new actions could take place and exploration could take could begin into those new areas. So we did shipping routes and everything were limited till someone believed that the world wasn't flat, it was round. If the world's round, everything changes. And so shipping routes came and we started new exploration. There was a great risk and they would communicate their findings as they communicated their findings. More people wanted to be involved with that and the reports would come based on that information and the world began to change and evolve based on information coming. And again, we're all built on information and news. The question comes with, you had brought this up earlier, what is the motive of the information? Is it to promote the idea? Is it to profit off the others believing it? So keep in mind, even though Columbus and the first explorers went, I'm using Columbus because that's the one that kind of came right after that era of being flat. We know other people had gone and explored outside of Columbus, but what's been documented. And so Columbus goes because the world isn't flat. And so he could come back and say, hey, the world's not flat. Look what I found. But if the world as a whole didn't buy into that idea and didn't adapt to the idea that the world was round and could be explored, it would have stopped right there. But there was enough inkling in people willing to take a risk on this new idea that that's where that began to change everything till we became accustomed to a global world. I live on the other side of the planet. I've flown both directions from one side going through Europe and through the other side going through Asia, and I've ended up back in the same place. So I feel like I've discovered that the world's round because I've traveled it. But that we don't really even think about that. We, it's just part of our daily life. It, it's a norm. A norm has been built based on those words. But that's how we get to that place. And that's how words are so effective. And the requirement of the community as a whole to buy into those words for the longevity of, of change so something new can be built off of it is critical. So maybe an issue for some is that we don't have confidence in the word itself. So you either don't know the word that's been spoken over you. I'm thinking in a spiritual sense here, a word from your father, because you talked about father being the source. If you're not confident in that word, what it is spoken over you, then your actions won't really reflect courage and strength. If you weren't very sure that the world was round, you might risk it, but you're not going to feel as confident as someone who has sailed around the world and has seen it to be round. And you're going to have a lot of fear. You're going to have a lot of uncertainty with it. So maybe that's the problem for some of us, but we look at examples like Jesus received a word from his father and then was able to walk in the wilderness and face the temptations that questioned that word. But because he was confident in it, because he experienced it, he was able to, I guess, get through those temptations. So imagine you have a kingdom, let's say whatever was the most powerful kingdom in the known world at that time. And all of a sudden, another kingdom discovers the world's round and starts new trade exploration, and they find something. But you don't have the ability to go do it. And you don't want that other kingdom to get stronger. What information would you begin putting out to stop the idea 
that there's other trade routes. When the routes you have, you control, that's what's making you so powerful. But if there's other trade routes, you're going to lose power. What news would you put out in the world regarding this new idea? If there was a new idea that would change your life, that if you're willing to risk, if you're willing to explore, if you're willing to step out into something new that could be better, but it would make you look, but but the person that you're going to be stepping out, it's going to make them look bad or it's going to cause them to lose power if you step into this new idea. Do you think if they had bad motives to you that they would be communicating positive things? Or would they create news that would shape and create doubt for you to step forward into that? So you have to know the power base of the words that are coming towards you in order for it to be a source. So let me put this question out there, which is a question that I've asked myself. So it's not as if I'm, I'm throwing this out there, you know, without anything behind it. Why is it then? Because I would, I would assume, I would think that the vast majority of people would agree with all that was just said there. Why is it that then that we put so much trust and faith in people and organizations that we do not know the motives of? Or if we do and thought about it, we would understand that it's a worldly person, a worldly organization. They can't have my, the, a motive of my identity in, in Christ in mind. They don't have a motive of me being lifted up as an individual in mind. Why then do we put so much faith and give so much credence to the information that they give us? And this isn't to get super conspiratorial and say, turn off all news, don't listen to the radio, you know, put tinfoil on your head. It's not, I'm not going that route with it. But isn't that a question that we should at least put out there? Well, you say worldly, but the reason we have denominations is because we can't agree internally. And so... And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have different different groups. I, I actually think it's good. I think we connect on a different level when there's a similarity. It's just when we're countering someone else. But you can look at simple little doctrines that are war zones. The moment, if I were to say, Jesus provides healing for today, that creates all sorts of different factors of what that actually means. So you'll have those that have experienced healing, experience the authority, experience the power of it, and they will say, it's for today. It's right there for you. You could have it. Another side will say, well, I tried that once and it failed. My family member died. I tried believing. So they're against it. Then you'll have another group that is afraid of operating in it. So they'll say it all passed away. That was just with the apostles and the disciples. So then we spend time defending our position. And so it's the same on the, so I'm just using an example that goes on in the church world too. So it's not just worldly, a church world it has everything to do with motive. Why are we afraid of a new truth that will lift an individual, empower an individual, set a person free? Why are we afraid of them pursuing that? What is the motive that's, why are we trying to hold them back from that? That's the real question. So does news come? to give you information so you as an individual can go handle it and process it? Or is news coming to strip you as an individual? And when I say individual, I don't mean self-reliant that you're, you're it. A true individual mm -hmm. understands their interdependence on each other 
And a true yes. individual yeah. understands that they need a source of life. So when I say that, there's still this inner inner working. So I just want to clarify that. But I'm just talking about you own your decisions and you're responsible for them and how they affect other people. And a moment of someone starts rising, we almost don't want them to grab a hold of that. And it And this is something that's been dealt with for years. So for instance, did you know this? Just inter- in just just an interesting little fact. Crisco, you know Crisco, the mm-hmm. shortening that we use to bake with. That wasn't really used back in the 40s. They use fat, they use meat lard. In fact, no one wanted to use vegetable spread for that until the American Heart Association came out came about. So the American Heart Association started setting standards what's good for our heart. But the American Heart Association was going under, it was failing. It needed money. Who funded the American Heart Association to keep it afloat? The makers of Crisco. And what became the big thing from that point on? Crisco. I'm not saying why they did it. I'm not saying what their motives were. I'm just saying it's very interesting that the group that profited the most was the one funding the research Mm -hmm. for you to change your idea. How do you help someone to see motives like that? Or how do we even find motives like that? Because it's, it's one thing to say, look for the motives. And, you know, because they can be, they can be malicious at times. They can be, you know, not looking out for your best interests at times. But I feel like there's this wall that goes up for most people. I can remember this being me in, you know, years ago when I was a less wise man. I can remember my just almost a subconscious wall going up thinking, well, that can't be about this or this can't be about me because I've, I've, my sources are trustworthy how do we have a healthy skepticism, I guess you could say, but also learn to trust and learn to accept things? Because on one hand, you can't go around spending years questioning everyone's motive, can you? I mean, at some point, you develop trust in a relationship with a person where you believe what they say. So how do we get to that point with things and yet not be so naive that just because someone has an ad on YouTube or on Facebook and there's a meme posted about it that we believe what it says. Because we're, we're everyone knows it's become such a cliche. We're in this infor- information age where there's so much satire and so many fake things going around that people will throw out there just to confuse someone. How do we, how do we navigate that even? Well, I, I think there's, we've, lost the, we've lost the art of a healthy discussion. We've lost the art of having a good debate. We've lost the, uh, the, the, the openness to disagree. Disagreeing does not mean you're against someone. Having an argument, not, not for argument's sake, but having an argument or debating something was critical. It didn't, we don't have to get it to the debates that render strife. Stay away from the striving things. Like If we're going to get into political stuff and someone says, this is what I am, and the other person says, this is what I am, all of our conversation is worthless because you're not we're not really open to new information from each other. But when there's a, de- a healthy debate, we're confident in who we are as individuals, but we're wrestling through the ideas that are out there around that. Now we can debate them and get to the heart of them and come to conclusions. I mean, this is this is why you you want 
more than one idea in leadership. You need multiple ideas so that there can be some sense of a balancing out that you don't just get so one-sided in it that you you have to look at both. You you and scripture in Acts 17, 11, it says, now the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. So this is how they're describing a noble-minded. So noble means honorable, integrous, confident, mature. You know, when someone was considered a noble, they were actually in medieval times was considered someone who's of um, royalty, someone who has an authority, someone who has a sense of influence. So the noble-minded did this. They received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if these teachings were true. So they eagerly were eager to learn new information. Tell us what's new. Then they went and examined what was true scripture to validate and wrestle with to see if that thing was true. We skipped the last yeah. part. We either are eager just to take in any information without examining it, or we become so distrustful we take in no information. But it doesn't say to do that. A noble-minded man would say, let me, t- let me hear what you have to say. The world's, the world's round? Wow, that goes way against the grain of anything I know. But, but tell me more how you're getting there. Then I go examine to see it's true, but who's owning the decision? Not the informer, the person that is hearing. And they get to determine. Now, do they have to agree? No. And that's where we've come to, you have to agree with what I say. Because if I sit and examine it, I may disregard it. And we don't want someone to do that. Well, should should there be things that, you know, once information comes in, something new, we discuss it, there's a healthy debate, and then it's settled, and then it's truth, and it's locked away in a vault. And then we build traditions upon it, and... It becomes our new normal way of life. Or should anything be constantly open for debate? Well, I think there needs to come to a platform of what is your core source of truth before you can even have a debate. Because otherwise we're just wrestling with our own identities. But if there's a core source of truth, which is where the word father comes from, there's a sense of trust. There's a sense of honorableness. You share a similar identity. The image of who you are comes from your father. And so when he speaks, you trust him. And I think it's fascinating, like we talked about with Cain and Abel, he taught Cain how to make a decision. He did not, after Cain offered a sacrifice that wasn't acceptable, God came and was talking with Cain, and he didn't say, listen, you dummy, here's how you do it. You put six rocks up, you put this on this, and gave him the list of how to put up a good sacrifice. No, he didn't deal with the information. He dealt with the heart to teach him how to think. He said, listen, if you do good, you'll be accepted. If you don't do good, sin lies at your door and it desires you, but you can rule over it. So it's like a father saying, listen, examine what your your motives of your heart and what you're doing. Examine the motives of your heart of why you want that information or why you want that idea. Examine the motives of your heart why you're receiving that information. And you rule over that. I give you the power to rule over that. So you think about how a father, we always want God just to tell us what to do, but we miss the fact he wants to teach us how to think, how to choose, how to decide, how to, how to care for the people that are around you, but yet you being valuable. 
I think that's really good. The reason I brought that up is because there's just, there seems to be one of two ways that people approach these things, either so authoritarian that it's there's leaders and whatever they say, shut up and don't question it. Or it swings so far the other way to where you're almost this like 16 year old punk rock rebellious person that's going to argue with whatever someone says. And I think both of those show a lack of maturity. But like you were saying, if you have a father who's your source and you know his word is true, you can wrestle through these tough things. And with each other, we can actually we can actually wrestle with them and debate them as long as they're lifting us up in our source. That's the starting point it has to be from. Not I'm trying to tear down your system, not I'm trying to strip your individuality so that you end up just like me because I know what's best. None of none of that garbage. But knowing the motive behind the source and from there being able to address information. Because we see so often in history and throughout scripture, you've got the serpent in the garden, you've got the tempter in the wilderness where they've come with information and facts and true things, but because the motive is twisted, the influence they're trying to wield on the people is so twisted and so wrong. And so it's not enough to have correct information and it's not enough to have facts because those things can be twisted. It's got to come down to the source. Let me close. I'll, I'll throw out this one point. My final point is this. Know who you really are. Know who your source is. Know you've been given the authority to make the decisions. You've been get empowered to make decisions. And you were designed to rule and reign, not over people, but over your environments, over your situations, over those things around you so you could serve and love the people around you. That's our design. From that, your decisions that you make and the information you take will be filtered from a different aspect. So it doesn't matter what situation you're in right now. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're in right now. If you know those pieces, you can begin taking ownership and responsibility of where you are so you can begin filtering and making those decisions. Just keep in mind, there was a time that the world was flat and no one would, would explore because they were afraid of falling off the edge. Until someone just dared to believe that there's something bigger and they step forward at a risk and it changed humanity. We still need to be able to move beyond the information and the rhetoric that is being told one way or another that provokes fear, panic, and insecurity. Because the world is insecure, but you don't have to be. That's really the point of this whole discussion here. So I hope that that sparked some thoughts on you guys, maybe a bit challenging, maybe a bit confirming, and hopefully it's encouraging you to just internalize a lot of this stuff. We're at a time in history where we've never had more information at our fingertips. It's never been like this. And I think there's an overabundance of information at times and what we lack is a core identity. So I hope you guys are continuing to focus on that. Um, it's great interacting with you guys on social media, seeing your comments, seeing your feedback that you guys write in. So we appreciate that so much. And we'll be back again next week to do it all over again.